0: Well, good morning. Good morning to those in Alma, and good morning to those of you online, and of course, you in here in Mount Pleasant. Uh, Today, we end our seven week series, Help. And our prayer is that today and over the past six Sundays, God's word has met you exactly where you are. I know it has for me. I have needed some serious help. (laughs) Um, And I've needed serious help in this message that I'm preaching today. Isn't that funny how God works? The message of negative mindset. I mean, think about everything that has happened in the last 18 months. (laughs) It has been really difficult for me to remain positive and not be negative in light of everything that has happened globally and nationally and even personally. And it really is a lot like that video we just watched. Like, I feel like I've ingested a bunch of junk into my soul and I just feel sick. And one of the areas and reasons I think I feel like I'm struggling to remain positive is because I've really struggled in understanding what it looks like to live like Jesus in all of this. I've been in so many situations where I've been like, God, I have no idea what it looks like right now to live like Jesus. Do I stand up or sit down? Do I speak up or remain silent? Do I push forward or let go? Do I press back or do I surrender? Do I defend or remain silent? Any of you guys struggle with that? And Jesus, he did all of these things. Like sometimes he spoke up, but sometimes he was deathly silent. And then there were times where he stirs the waters, but then there's times where he calms the sea. And this lack of clarity of knowing when to respond and how has only left me drowning in my own sea of frustration and negativity. There was this one night, it was actually the night that Hurricane Ida struck the coast of Louisiana, and I was lying in bed, and I had my phone. I was checking for a status update on the hurricane, and I had a friend who lives in Louisiana, and he marked himself safe on Facebook which basically alerted me and the rest of his contacts that he was okay while this storm raged on. Well, his alert led me to a Facebook Hurricane Ida help page. And in real time, I'm seeing people post comments crying out for help while they're stuck in the storm that if anybody's reading to come to the rescue. And this one mom, she posts how she and her kids were stuck on the second floor of their two-story home and the water was rushing in. So she types in her street address and the intersection, and in a desperate attempt for help, she cries out for anybody who might read that to come to her rescue. And the very next comment on her post was absolutely ridiculous. This person had the audacity to write, you should have taken the governor's warning when he told you to evacuate. This is your fault for not doing what you should have. No one can save you now. And this poor mom, while well, she's fearing for her life and the lives of her kids, actually responds. And she says, I didn't have the money to evacuate. I couldn't afford gas or the accommodations to leave my home. So I just braved the storm in hopes that it wasn't as bad as they predicted. And then the comments just poured in on this comment stream. Some extending grace and love to this mom, but most were getting on a full-on back-and-forth word massacre with this crude person who made this comment. And I'm lying in bed, fully watching all of this unravel before me, fully aware that these homes are being destroyed. Hurricane Ida is raging through the city. Power is out everywhere. Hospitals are flooded. And these people are fighting. I mean, it took every ounce of Jesus in me to not comment back and to hold off the devil that I think lives in my thumbs. So instead... I just lay there, and I read every single comment that poured in. And at 11 p.m., as the powerful winds of Hurricane Ida were destroying that city, the powerful words of negativity were flooding into my heart. My heart was being flooded with so much anger towards these people who I didn't even know, and so much hate for this ugliness that was right in front of my eyes. So much sadness and helplessness that I felt for this mom who was miles away from me. And to no surprise, guess what happened to me? The very next day, I began retelling this story again and again to my friends and family and my coworkers with sentiment and emotion wrapped up around telling the story about these people that could be very much summarized like this. And I believe that Pastor Allen has quoted from this version of the Bible. It's the NCT, the New Complainers translation, when he says, These people sucketh. These people are horrible. These people are so ridiculous. You would not believe what this person said. You would not believe what they commented back. And I just began retelling everything that was poured into me the night before. Any of this sound familiar? I don't think I'm alone in in witnessing, but also being a part of the extreme amount of negativity that has plagued this world. Not only has there been a global pandemic of COVID, There has been a global pandemic of negativity. And tell me if you agree, everywhere you go, every news channel you turn on, every social media platform you use, every conversation you get into with family, friends, colleagues, classmates, everywhere you go, you hear or see the most extreme amount of negativity just pouring out of our mouths. Everything stinks. This person, this leader, This school, this store, this church, this law, this post on social media, my coworkers, my boss, my class, my teacher, my spouse, my kids, my parents, my life, everything just stinks right now. Oh, And if I could put into one word how I felt over these past 18 months, it would be heavy. And I've heard others say the same thing. I just feel heavy, like the weight of the world is on you. Oh, Lord, help me. What is going on in this world? How do I live in this world? And people are arguing about everything. People are arguing about, I mean, people are getting shamed for standing up, and then they're being shamed for not taking a stance. And the disunity just continues to grow and grow and grow. And the anger and the frustration and the hatred just continues to mount. And there's sadness around every corner. And it is getting harder to know how to live in it all. Jesus, what would you do if you were here? My prayer has been, God, help me to know how to live like your son. Then one day, it was actually, I was telling the story again about this exchange on Facebook this arguing that was taking place, and I was getting all worked up. And then in the middle of my story, I just stopped, like awkwardly stopped. And the person's like, you're done? I'm like, I'm done. Because I heard myself talking, and I became disgusted with what I was saying. I was tired of hearing myself talk. I realized in that moment that my words were no different than the words that I was actually complaining about, on that Facebook page. My words are so filled with anger and bitterness and hopelessness. And I heard myself talking, and I just stopped. When did my heart get so ugly? And when did my heart get so mad? I have become so negative. And I left my own conversation feeling gross, feeling conviction, feeling like I just grieved the Holy Spirit within me. This isn't me. This isn't who I want to be. I never want to leave a conversation and have the person that I'm talking to or myself feel more burdened or more fearful fearful or more hopeless because of my words. That is not what God has called me to. I am a hope dealer. My job is to deliver hope. My job is to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ. And all I was doing was aligning myself with the enemy and assisting him in the spread of all this bad news. And I knew that engaging in that kind of negativity was only filling up my own cup and the cups of those around me. They surely didn't need to come to me to hear more of the bad news that is everywhere else. They could have gone to their own Facebook group or their own news channel. And what was this accomplishing when talking about this exchange? Was this my way of connecting with people? Because there are a lot better ways to connect with people than this. And who was this helping? I know it wasn't helping me. I was leaving my own conversations feeling worse than when I started. I was feeling frustrated and angry and defeated and actually distracted by all of it. All the junk and negativity that poured into me just was spilling right back out on everyone else. And it was in this moment when I stopped mid-story where I heard God in my spirit. You want to know why you're struggling to understand how to live like Jesus in this world? You want to know why it's not clear? Because look at your heart. And because of that, look at what is spilling out of your mouth. Look at what is spilling out of the mouths of my children everywhere. Jesus said it best for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I would love for you to commit that verse to memory this week and to really pray and meditate on Jesus' words. Matthew 12, 34, part B. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Basically, what you pour in, that's what pours out. And what God was saying to me in this moment is that if this is coming out of your mouth, imagine what your heart looks like. Your heart has become so negative. Your heart has become so polluted. You want to live and love and lead like Jesus, but then you need to have a heart that looks like my son's. Believers of Jesus Christ, we are not immune to this negativity that can pour into us. And what's spilling out of me and you and other followers of Jesus Christ is beginning to look and sound a lot like the world and a lot less like the heart of Jesus. And this garbage that's pouring into us and pouring out of our mouths, it infuriates Jesus. Infuriates him. Really? Like Jesus furious? Does Jesus get furious? There's a great moment in the Bible where the disciples write about when they witness Jesus' fury. It's the scene at the temple. And I read authors were terming this moment in time as the temple tantrum, and I don't really like that term because I believe that everything Jesus did was with purpose and mission. But I say this to point to the fact that this moment in Jesus' ministry is widely and worldly recognized as a scene unlike any other time in his ministry. It stands out because it appears to us readers of God's word that something shifts in Jesus. His usual way of doing things and his mood and temperament, it changes. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, we read the scene of Jesus entering into Jerusalem for the very first time with his disciples. And you get this sense as you're reading God's word in this spot that there's this awe and wonder and excitement as the people are watching their Messiah come into the city for the very first time. People are quoted saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then something shifts in just two verses after this moment. In verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And notice the inner quotes right there. Jesus is quoting God from Isaiah 56 7 he's quoting his father my house will be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers whoa where did that come from like whiplash can you sense his passion can you sense Jesus righteous anger in this moment I mean he's flipping tables he has to be so mad to be flipping tables have you ever flipped a table I have never been so upset where I flipped a table before. Now, don't get me wrong. I have been upset before. And there was an occasion where I raised my voice at my children with such intensity that afterwards my son Landon was like, Mom, I've never heard your voice get like that before. Because I don't usually raise my voice. It stood out to him. But I did in this moment because I needed their attention. And I needed them to know that of all the things that had the potential to make mom mad, the one they were engaging with topped the charts. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. And just as a side note, if you do have anger issues, this is not justification to be like, I'm just being like Jesus while I rage. That is not the kind of anger that Jesus is showing us here. Jesus is showing us a righteous anger. And righteous anger seeks restoration. An unrighteous anger seeks destruction. And the money changers and sellers had set up shop within God's temple and using it for their benefit. And Jesus wanted to restore it to its original purpose, to make it a house of prayer, just like his father said, and not a house of robbery. So back to my son's reaction about mom's intense voice, his response to me is very similar to how I feel when I read this scene in the Bible about Jesus. Jesus, I've never seen you like this before. Why are you so mad here? Why are you so upset? In all my years of following Jesus, this scene in the temple just never quite settled right for me. I didn't understand why he chose this moment, of all moments, to express his righteous anger this way. Because think about it, like Jesus had to have seen and experienced a lot that infuriated him and that burdened him. I mean, I know I've read scenes in the Bible where I would have loved for Jesus to show up and flip a table. Like what about when all those religious leaders told Jesus not to heal on the Sabbath? I mean, that was a ridiculous interpretation of the law, right? I would have loved for Jesus to show up and flip some tables on them. Or what about when the Romans persecuted the Jews for their belief in the one true God? Oh, that had to infuriate Jesus. Why didn't he go down to their executive office and show them how he was felt about that? But no other time in the Bible do we see Jesus' righteous anger unfold like we do at the temple. And actually you can read how he did this on more than just this one occasion. And he brought a whip. Why? There are a lot of theories as to why Jesus was so upset that day. And honestly, there are probably a lot of reasons why he was so upset that day. But here's what God spoke to me through the preparation and prayer of this message and through my own personal journey during the past 18 months as I have been wrestling with trying to understand what it looks like to live like Jesus in this world right now. This is what God spoke to me, and I believe what he wants to say to you today as well church, my children, those who don't even believe in me, there is nothing, there is nothing that makes me more upset and more righteously angered than when someone or something comes into my house and gets in the way of my relationship with you. Isn't that what's happening in the temple that day? The temple was filled with thieves and lies and deception and all of it was preventing and distracting God's people from being able to draw near to Him, from being able to focus their hearts and minds on Him. The temple in the Old Testament was the home of God's presence. This was the only place that God's children could go to be with God. There was no other place. And these thieves and money changers They position themselves in between God's people and God, profiting off of the foot traffic in the temple. Benefiting off of it, not only stealing money, but stealing the hearts, minds, and devotions away from God and onto them. And Jesus' righteous anger in this moment shows us just how serious he is about eliminating anything that stands in the way of your relationship with the Father. So what does this mean to you and me today? What does Jesus' righteous anger in the temple have to do with anything with negativity or what's pouring in and in effect what's spilling out of my mouth? Well, the days of only being able to meet God in the temple were quickly coming to an end because Jesus changed everything. After his death and resurrection, the temple was eventually destroyed, just like he prophesied. So no longer did God's spirit live in the temple. So where is God's spirit today? God's spirit is not in the temple. God's spirit is not in a building. God's spirit is in you. You are God's temple. You are the home of God's presence. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, this is where the home of God's spirit lives. In your heart and in your mind and in your soul. And guess guess who? Actually, guess what has set up shop inside this temple? Guess what has got in between you and your father? It's everything we've been talking about for the past seven Sundays. It's everything that has been pouring into us. It's negativity. It's pain. It's fear. It's worry. It's anxiety. It's hopelessness. And all of it has been pouring in and setting up shop all for the purpose of disturbing and killing and destroying your connection with God and putting you into alignment with the enemy. Jesus is furious about this. He's furious about this junk that's pouring in. He's furious about this junk that's pouring out. He's furious about it because you know what it's doing. It's keeping you from your father. And you want to know what Jesus is going to do when something keeps you from your father? He's going to clean up shop. He's going to start flipping tables within your hearts and minds and souls. If you are anything like me right now, I bet there are a million other things that you wish Jesus would come to this earth and flip some tables on rather than the hearts than the tables within your hearts and minds. And I do believe that what grieves and infuriates us also grieves and infuriates God. But look at what's happening to us. Look at what's happening to you. Look at what's happened to me. I wanted to live and respond like Jesus in the world, but so quickly, my heart started to be polluted. I became so negative. My heart looked so far from the heart of Jesus. And God cares about all of this stuff, but he cares about you. He cares about what's in your heart. And all this junk that has been pouring in, this is what God wants to say to you today. It's keeping me from you. Don't you see how distracted you are by everything that's going on? Don't you see that the enemy has made you believe that what I care most about is this or that or who's right or who's wrong? Yes, I care about all of these things, but you wanna know what I care about more than anything in this world. It's you. It's what's in your hearts. My sons and my daughters, what have you allowed to pour in? All you can see is the evil around you right now. But I am still here and I am doing a new thing. And what I want to say to you today is that what I care about more than anything else in the world is you. So you want to know what it looks like to live like Jesus right now in this world, in this mess of a world? We become passionate about clearing out God's temple Passion and righteous anger, just like Jesus did in the temple. In a time where we are surrounded with double, really probably even triple, of the amount of negative foot traffic that's coming through this temple, then we need to double or triple the amount of Jesus that's pouring in. What you pour in, that's what pours out. So, one, begin by taking inventory of what you are allowing into your temple. What are you allowing into God's temple? And parents, take inventory for your kids. Protect their temples as well. What are you watching? What are you listening to? What kind of conversations are you engaging with? And, and honestly, what kind of conversations are you encouraging? What are you reading and why are you reading it? Ask yourself, is this beneficial to building up God's kingdom or even beneficial to building up my own heart? Because if it's not, put it down. Number two, eliminate it. Clear out God's temple. And we need to do this with the righteous anger and the passion that Jesus showed us. Don't be passive about this. Fight for this. Protect God's house. And don't justify or minimize or rationalize the effects that the junk can have on your relationship with God. Jesus showed us that he was serious about clearing out the temple and we need to be serious about it too. And then number three, fill it back up with more of Jesus. Fill God's temple with more of Jesus. And when you think you've filled it up enough, you keep going. Double, triple, remember what is pouring into us right now. We have to fight back. Some things that I have personally done in my life, I listen to Christian podcasts from authors and pastors and other people who I can identify with and build myself back up in my identity of Christ all the time, almost every day. I'm constantly praying in the car, in the grocery line. That's how I go to sleep every night, is praying to God. I fall asleep in his hands, I recommend it highly i purposely and intentionally schedule time to be with other believers who will sharpen me in my faith so that when i leave their presence i actually feel like i was closer to jesus and a spiritual discipline that i have incorporated into my own life monday through friday 5 30 in the morning this is when i go to god's gym this is my spiritual workout time just me and god And I am not saying this in any way to brag or highlight and say, look at me, Super Susie Christian. I say this because I have to do these things. Left to myself, I so quickly begin to pour out everything that the world has poured into me. I can't not do this anymore. I have learned the simple science that what pours in will eventually pour out. So I fill myself to the brim with Jesus so that guess what pours out of me? The good news, the hope, the peace of truth that only God's word can give when nothing else in life makes sense. But I also want to point out what I did not say. I did not say hide. Lock down, withdraw, pull out—true, right? That would be a lot easier to have clear and pure minds filled with rainbows and sunshine if we were never exposed to any of this in the first place. But but God calls us the light. Have you ever turned a flashlight on in a well-lit room? It isn't very bright because its purpose was not for the light. Its purpose was to penetrate the dark. We are called light because our purpose is to penetrate the dark too. And we need Jesus in every single corner of this world. We need him in every branch of government, in every social media platform, on every news station, in every police station, in every hospital in every corporation, in every school district, in every classroom. And he gets into those places through you, through people who are passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. But here's the thing. You need to be in those corners of this world with hearts that have been cleared out from the junk that is poured in so that you can be so in line with your Father that you will know how to live and respond like Jesus wherever he has placed you. What would it look like if more of God's children became passionate and filled with the righteous anger to clear this temple like Jesus did? What would it look like for Mount Pleasant in Gratiot County to begin flipping the tables within their hearts and minds and souls? What would it look like if this church restored God's temple to become a house of prayer Oh, could you imagine the amount of prayer that would be going out instead of complaining? Imagine how much hope would be poured out instead of worry. And imagine how much love would be expressed instead of hate. Imagine how much closer you and I would be able to be close to our Father, to draw near to Him. And because of that, because of us being so close to our Father, imagine how much more you and I could do through Central Michigan if we could hear our Father's voice versus the competing voice of the enemy who wants us to remain transfixed in his hypnosis of lies and fears. There is no other time when I wish Jesus would have shown up and flipped a table in all of history than when he was on trial before... He died on the cross. In Matthew 27, 11 through 14, it says that Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. And when I read this scene in the Bible, everything within me is screaming, Jesus, say something. Jesus, do something. Jesus, tell them who they're messing with. Jesus, do what you did in the temple and flip some tables. But he didn't. And he wouldn't. Why? Think about that. Why would Jesus choose to flip tables in the temple, but then refuse to flip tables here? Was there ever a time in Jesus' entire life where he experienced the cruelest injustice? where he witnessed the greatest abuse of government power, and when he was caught smack dab in the middle of the worst political game in all of history, and yet he didn't say one word. Why? Because if he had, if he had chosen to flip a table in that moment, it would have been that table that kept us eternally separated from our Father. If Jesus would have spoke up, defended, demanded, fought back, it would have ruined everything. It would have messed up God's plan. Choosing not to flip the table at his trial was for the exact same reason that he chose to flip the table in the temple. Because he knew the heart of his father and he knew that his father wanted more than anything else just to be close to you. And so he knew what he had to do. Jesus knew when to speak up, and he knew when to remain silent. He knew when to stir the waters, and he knew when to calm seas. And he knew when to fight, and he also knew when to surrender. Because his heart was so in tune with God's heart. And Jesus knew that in this moment, his death and his resurrection was the will of God. And in this particular moment, his silence was the necessary action to obliterate the obstacle that stood in between us and God. He knew he was the last sacrifice. He knew he was the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. His act of silence at his trial and his burst of righteous anger in the temple two different expressions of righteous anger, but both accomplish the same goal for you and me to be able to draw near to our Father. And that's what these past seven Sundays have all been about. We need help. And God wants us to draw near to him. But in order to draw near to him, we have to clear out the junk that's standing in between us and God. We need to clear it up so that we can be so in tune with his heartbeat, that we know how to live when we go out there, and we know how to be like Jesus in everything that we do. Amen. Who needs help today? (laughs) Amen. And let me ask you, when you need help, do you run or do you walk? I don't know about you, but when I need help, I run. I sprint, I don't look back, I don't hesitate, I don't waver, I don't doubt, I don't question, I know what I need to do when I need help. And Jesus is there, he's made the way, he's cleared the path so that we can run to our Father and receive the help that he's just waiting to give to us. But here's the best thing about God, he loves you so much that he never forces it upon you. He lets you choose. He never forces his love upon you, and in return, he never forces your love upon him. He just asks, will you come? And I'm asking you, will you run? Will you run to your Father today to receive the help that we all need? I need help today. And if you need help today too, I ask you to come to the Father If you have never committed your life to following Jesus and you are ready to do that today you are like I need help from God Jesus has cleared the path for me he has died for me he has rode for me he has made the bridge so that I can reach my father if that is you today we welcome you and angels are singing in heaven because you have welcome been welcome to the family of God yes amen and if that is you today whether you're online or here it's all you have to do is ask. do not It has, doesn't have to be anything formal. You just ask God, God, I am ready. Please come and help me. I wanna commit my life to following Jesus for the rest of my life. That's all you have to say. I'm in, I am in. And if you say that today, would you come and speak to me or another staff member or an elder or anyone at Info and just let them know so that we can give you a Bible and encourage you on your way? support you and cheer you on. We need to stick together, amen? Yeah. So will you run? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, how we love you. Thank you, Father, that you are our help and our rescuer. We need so much help right now, Lord. It is so difficult to remain firm, and steady with sound minds and clear temples, Lord. But you have given us Jesus, the power that rose him from the grave now lives in us. And we are more than conquerors through him. So help us to go out in the world and live like that for you. With hearts so in tune with your heart, Lord, that we will know how to respond in every situation that we find ourselves in. We will know if we're supposed to speak up or if we're supposed to remain silent. Thank you, Lord, that we have you, that we have that comfort and that foundation to be able to do that. And it is okay to not be okay because you are our rescue and our strength. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.